brothers, welcome to Timeless Truths, a study and journey through John's first letter. Our speaker tonight is Bill Miller. He and his lovely wife Sherry moved here from Miami a couple years ago, and they are a blessing to everybody that knows them. Bill currently serves as the Secretary Treasurer of the Lake Granbury Ministerial Alliance, and his wife has assisted him in that, and we have seen the thing grow from like 15 people to 50 so he's a gifted man. He's a financial counselor, helps people get their finances under control and get favor with their creditors and things like that. And he's a man who loves the word, and so you're going to be blessed. Bill, we turn it to you, brother. Well, thank you. Five, five <clears throat> verses here. They're about the subject of love. And i got to tell you, love is a, is a difficult topic for me to teach because it's big. Um We'll talk about how big it is. It's sort of, you know, when you really get into it, it's so multifaceted, but it's so important to the new covenant that to really get it across is not so easy. And I hope that, uh, you know, I can get at least the tip of the iceberg across tonight. Um, and there'll be some stuff maybe that you haven't heard, or maybe it's just repetitive. I don't know. But these are great verses here. Um, there's there's a couple of things that are revealed in these particular verses that we'll see in just a minute that are um, really key things in the New Covenant. For example, in verse 8 it says that God is love. And you can make a whole series on the subject of God is love. What does that mean? But let's uh, let, let me read just those scriptures in my New American Standard and let's see what they sound like. Beloved, let us uh, love one another. For love is from God and everyone who knows is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested to us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Wow, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. There's a whole bunch of stuff there that's really key to Christian life, and um, um, we'll see some some verses in a minute. I'm going to ask you guys to help me look up verses because there's, I mean, to really study this in the time that we have tonight, we need to look up some other verses, right, so that we understand. My my understanding is that we're going to talk about the God kind of love, right, Alan? That's what you want to, because the love of God is different than any other kind of love which you would expect, right? So, um, the first time I taught love was about um, 1996 in the church in Miami. And, and I studied for days on it. I looked, I still had the, the study, the notes from it. And I looked it up just to refresh my memory on all the stuff that I talked about back then. Um, actually, it was a series. I did it twice. And still... I'm learning about it. It's still it's something we have to study because it's key. There's there's some verses that we're going to look at in a minute that if if people could see, people in the body of Christ, if we could just see when we're going through trials and tribulations, when we're going through difficulties, when we're having problems, we don't know why we're having these problems. A lot of times it's because something is messed up with our love walk. It's something that in the love walk we need to correct or address, or study, or think about, or what is it that we're not doing right? 
unforgiveness in the body of Christ is rampant. I have people that are still mad at me after 15 or 20 years. They, there's a guy in Miami that still won't speak to me because, you know, things happen. And uh, um, I made it a point to love him uh, the way you combat unforgiveness in your own life because unforgiveness will kill your Christian walk. If, if you don't take care of that, if you have been through a relationship issue, I have, if if you let that eat away to, at you for the rest of your your Christian Christian life, it's going to cause you to to eventually get into defeat. And the way to combat that is by very diligently working on loving the other person, so you get out of unforgiveness. I don't know why I got into that, because but but it is th- this is a key topic, and um, the problem with this topic and, and understanding it is that the, in English the word love has a multitude of meanings, right? I can love my car, I can love my kids, I can love my wife, I can love my job, I can love a lot of different things, and it's all love. But in other languages, it doesn't work that way. Um, other languages are more precise. And Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, is more precise. And when I studied this back years ago, I found over 20 different words in in the Greek when I went into the concordance. This this was before we had everything online. You can go online now and Google a verse, and you can get it whatever language you want, whatever translation you want. So I, I, I manually, in a in a physical concordance, looked for all of these different words, and there was twenty something of them, you know, including past tense and participles and all the various versions of it. But really, the Greek words for love that we would use in English. There's there's four main ones, right? Have you have y'all studied that here before? Y'all know what they are. Um, one of them is Sturgeon. Sturgeon means um, like a natural love. You can love animals. You can just love things. You could, but it's a natural kind of love among family members. Um, there's filio or filio. The word Philadelphia comes from that. There's at least ten different offshoots or 15 different offshoots of the word philio or philio in scripture. It means friendly or fraternal or like brotherly love. The word Philadelphia comes from from that word in Greek. Um, that's used a lot in the Bible um, for for different things, um, di- different applications. And in this translation, it'll usually say brotherly love in the New American Standard so you know that it's not one of the other kind of loves. You know it's this kind of love. But when the when the original transcripts were written in Greek, philio was the main word, the main Greek word that was used at that time. We're going to get to another one here in a minute that wasn't so popular, but the, before we do, there's there's a third third word in Greek, which is eros. Eros is physical love, sexual love, physical attraction, physical I love you physically. Um, that's very American, you know. But a lot of, a lot of what drives us is because we love in physical terms. Um, but love is much more complicated than that, and that's why we get in trouble a lot of times. Is because we think and act in eros when we need to be looking at some other, some other kind of love. But then the fourth kind is the main one that the New Testament is all about. I pronounce it agape. I know that there's different ways to pronounce this word. Agape. Um, what are some of the others that you might have heard? 
I call it agape. Is that good for you? Agape love. I was looking at something online today, and it was teaching that that word in Greek is not classical. It was used in classical literature before Jesus. Homer wrote some stuff a thousand years before Christ, like the Iliad and the Odyssey, if you ever read that kind of stuff. And he used the word agape, but it wasn't really popular. It wasn't used. The word philio was used, or philio, um, was much more popular and uh, <laughs> was the word that was more often used in classical Greek. So in any event, here was this word, agape, it, and, and it just wasn't a popular word, but it, it was a a word that the, that, that the Greeks had used from time to time as, as love. <coughs> when Christians came on the scene after Jesus was resurrected and the church began to develop during the first century, uh, the people who wrote the Greek um, testaments, the Greek letters and whatever, remember they were translating, right? Because the disciples, the apostles, they weren't Greek and uh Maybe Paul wrote in Greek, I don't know, but there's a discussion, an argument online as to whether Paul wrote in Hebrew or whether he wrote in Greek or um, how exactly that was, but certainly not all those guys spoke Greek or wrote in Greek. They were from, uh, you know, the northern part of Israel, and they weren't highly educated in the things of Greek. Um, that's what most people think, so that they probably wrote in Hebrew or Aramaic, and it was translated to Greek. When they translated into Greek, those translators were wrestling with the concept of love because they saw Christians meeting in their house churches, right? And when Christians would meet in the house church, they would have dinner together. And the rich people paid for the, the food, and the poor people that came, they benefited from the dinners. If you recall, Paul is writing... In, to the Corinthians, in the first Corinthians, he's writing to them, and he's sort of uh, speaking to them a little harshly because they they were uh, they had gotten greedy and they had gotten too boisterous at those dinners, and they were forgetting to take care of the poor. But anyway, when the translators saw this, they said, "We need to come up with a better word because phileos doesn't quite fit this picture." And during that first century, the word agape became very popular. It's mentioned 320 times in the New Testament in one form or another. Um, that's a lot of times when you start looking it up. Um, a lot of the scriptures that we just look at and we just breeze over and we say love, we see love in the scripture, we don't think about it. But it's a particular kind of love. It's not phileo, it's not eros, it's not the sturgeon. It's a special kind of love. It's the God kind of love. And we're going to see what that is. Um, way to, to define agape love, if you look at the definitions, and I'm going to put them all together here because it's kind of complicated for me, but agape love is different in the sense that it is a sacrificial love. That's one of the characteristics of agape love. It's different maybe from other kinds. It's um, unconditional. There's nothing that you have to do in order to receive that love because the person that's loving you has made a decision. It's a decision that says, I decide that I'm going to love you. I don't care what you've done, and I don't care what you do to me, 
but I'm going to love you unconditionally. You can't do anything that's, that's ever going to cause me not to love you because you're a believer. And Jesus said, I should love you, so I'm going to love you, even if you're mean to me. Um, so it's sacrificial, it's unconditional, it's undeserved, and it's a decision that we each make. I decide that I'm going to love you, and then by faith I love you. We'll see that in a minute, how how that works. But you, you can't describe Eros' love that way, because you can turn Eros' love off and on. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with these things. Brotherly love doesn't have anything to do with this, necessarily. Um, I don't have to have fraternal love for somebody. If they're mean to me or something, I'm, I don't care to be around them. But agape love is a decision I'm making because I'm supposed to do that, because Jesus told me to do it, as we'll see in a few minutes. Um, let's look then again at these scriptures with that definition in mind. Every There's nine times that the word love or loved is mentioned in these five verses. At least in my translation, it's nine times. Every single one of them is agape. Not arrows, not sturgeon. Every one of them is agape. So, beloved, let us agape love one another. Right? It's undeserved. I make a decision. We're, we make a decision we're going to love one another. We've been told to. So we make a decision we're going to love one another. For love, uh, love is from God. So agape love, that word there is agape, agape love comes from God, right? It's not something that we conjure up. It's not something that we can generate from our emotions. It's something that comes from God. So it started with God, and everyone who loves is born, everyone who loves, all of us who do love, are born of God and know God. Unless you know God, it's impossible to love this way. It is impossible to have agape love for anybody unless you have God. Unless God is in you, unless you have made a decision that you're going to walk in fellowship with God, you can't do this. The one who does not love God does not know God, see? If you don't love God, you can't know God. For God is love. That's the context where it says God is love. It's in the context of the one who does not love <clears throat> does not know God. If I, If it's impossible for me, or if I refuse to love other people, if I refuse to make the decision I'm going to love other people, it's going to be really hard for me to get to know God. A lot of people are walking around in the body of Christ with unforgiveness that I mentioned ago who are having a problem with their relationship with God because of the unforgiveness. If you can't love other people, I don't care who they are, even your enemies, as we'll see in another scripture in a minute, then the relationship with God is affected by that. Right? That's what I'm trying to get across here. Um, verse 9, By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son to the world so that we might live through Him. So God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we could have the ability or the opportunity to make a decision to love other people like God does. If Jesus didn't come into the world, I couldn't do it. If he didn't make it possible, there's no way that I'm going to, you know, 
first of all, I'm going to get born again and then have the opportunity to love other people like God does. So he sent his son into the world. He loved us enough that he sent his son into the world to be the propitiation or the substitute um, for our sins. Beloved, God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Well, anybody want to read a any verse there? Is there a translation that's way different, like the message or something that's way different than what I just said? Or more profound or something? It's not that much different. Uh, God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that we've done to our relationship with God. You know, the verse that you just mentioned about living through Him, um, I admit, excuse me, I meant to comment on that. What does it mean to live through Christ? What what does that mean to anybody? How how do you do that when when you see that? What does that mean? Or I can reverse it. Christ is in you. How does He live through you? Well, I don't think any of us. Thanks. Even if we were born again. <coughs> naturally know how to love one another were it not for the example that God gave us in the course of sacrifice that Christ made. I think that we learn to love one another through our experience with Jesus Christ and because it's not a natural thing. It's not a natural thing for me to love you if you offend me. Or, it's not. Or if we, uh, we have a difference in... Uh, you know, Christians learn to hate each other because they, uh, you don't agree with me at church. You don't. We have we all differ about. But that's not love. That's not what God or Jesus. That's not the example that we're that we're given. So, because we see His love, we love. Could we take that scripture and where it says, where He says, "His only begotten Son of the world, so that we might live through Him." If you go back to John chapter 1, it talks about the fact that Jesus is the Word. You know the verse I'm talking about? It says the Word is eternal and Jesus was the Word. Could we say there then that that God has sent His only begotten Son of the world so that we might live through the Word would be one way to express what you're saying. That's the way to live through Christ is by living according to the Word or living through the Word. Christ also lives in us. Remember there are verses in John 13, 14, and 15 that talk about abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. That's what this is describing here. Christ abides, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit is in you, abiding in you. The question is, are you going to yield to that Holy Spirit and are you going to walk out according to the word, what he's telling you to do? That's what living, living is about, right, in the body of Christ. Is, are we going to live in accordance with the word or are we going to live in accordance with what we want to do, with our priorities, with the according to the flesh and things that the flesh wants to do. A lot of believers are living according to the flesh. They're, they're going to say, I don't care what they said. That person offended me, and I'm not talking to him. I know a guy, 
that had so many broken relationships. This guy's back in Miami, and he was a minister in the body of Christ. He had so many broken relationships and so much unforgiveness and bitterness in his life, he wound up in the hospital. And uh, he had to make some adjustments in his lifestyle. You know, he was maybe in his 50s, in the young 50s in those days. I don't remember exactly how old he was. But, but um, when, I, when I read that passage, though, Bill, I mean, and maybe it's because, you know, I know that it's written by John, but to me the implication there, and, and I think that there's part of it that talks about our our walk and our life here, but there's a big implication to me that it's eternal life, that we're going to live eternally through Jesus. In other words, we're dead men walking until God sent his son, give a, you know, so that we can live through this, through Jesus. Definitely. It's, when you read the New Testament, it's talking about eternity because we're eternal beings. Mm-hmm. But it's not all about the future either. It's about no, I, I about agree. victory and present life. But I, yeah, I, I know you don't. But the BBE, which I think stands for Basic Bible English, mm-hmm. is it? Mm-hmm. It says this: My loved ones, let us have love for one another, because love is of God, and everyone who has love is a child of God, and has knowledge of God. He who has no love has no knowledge of God, because God is love. And the love of God was made clear to us when he sent his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. And this is love, not that we had love for God, but that he had love for us. So his love was first. Oh, yeah. Had love for us and sent his son to be an offering for our sins. My loved ones, if God had such love for us, it is right for us to have love for one another. It's not only that God is love. I mean, I'm sorry, that God loves us, because that's where we stop with our human mind, is that God loves me. God loves us. God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. But it's not, it doesn't stop there. He is love. He He is love. So if I have God in me, then I have love in me, right. by definition. Right. And I think... I think spiritual growth is where we transition from being the object of God's love to becoming channels. Come on, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so He can love through us because yeah, that's yeah. what it's all about. Amen. Well, I think the one thing we have to remember is that Paul says in Romans five that the love yeah. of God has been shed abroad in our hearts to the Holy Spirit. So when we receive Christ in our life, we receive the Spirit of Christ in our life. The Spirit of Christ, first of all, He enlightens us. And then he empowers us, and then he enables us, and then he enriches us by walking in love. I like all those E's. Those are good. Every aspect. He starts with our mind by enlightening our minds. And then he empowers us by giving us that power that that Paul says in Ephesians where he says, And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all the chaos through the power that works within us. And as we grab that power and by faith walk in it, we are able then to enrich others with that love. And and get, Paul gave us that example in Ephesians 5 when he says, walk in love as Christ walked in love. Right. As a living sacrifice and a holy, you know, acceptable to the God. Look so up. We have that, that example of Christ, but we also have that empowerment and that enrichment and that enlightenment that enables us to. And so the bottom line then says, we have to choose to walk in love. Exactly. You know, you know, we have no other excuse except 
not to choose to. Well, and also in, in Romans 5, Paul says, you know, that God is demonstrating his love for us. Right. Now, while we're yet sinners, he died for us. Amen. So, so yeah. definitely when we, harbor, yeah, when we harbor unforgiveness, we're, we're stopping the we got a problem. Oh, yeah, because, Look at, because Paul... Chrissy says that love does not take into consideration a wrong suffered. Man, you guys are you guys are preaching all of my <laughs> scriptures. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. No, it's okay. Right, look at Romans five, <laughs> verse five, because you brought up Romans five. So let's look at that. Yeah. Let's put our eyes on it. Romans five, verse five. Is that the one you're talking about? Yes. Can you read it out there? Okay. I just happen to have that scripture on my list. <laughs> <laughs> And who does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit there you go. given to us. The Holy Spirit does the work, right? If it weren't for the Holy Spirit doing that, then we wouldn't have it. So yeah. that's why I had it on my list was to show what, exactly what you're talking about. Um, other examples of agape love that we just blush, brush over when we're reading our word because English is so limited, is John 3.16. God so loved the world, that's agape, or a form of agape. Agapao is the verb. Agape is the noun. Um, Romans 5.5, 5, I had written in uh, parentheses, he empowers us, so you've already given that. He, because that's an important thing, is the fact that, is that if, if we receive it, we're empowered to do it. God wouldn't tell us to do something that we can't do. Right? I'm not saying it's easy. There's nothing really easy about this whole walk, right? But but we're empowered to do it and what and how do we how do we increase our empowerment? Because a lot of people never go anywhere with it, you know. They stay at the they get born again and 40 years later they're still stuck someplace back here where they almost where they started from. How do you grow? In the ability and that empowerment that you're talking about, it's not something that just falls on you. It's not something, um, especially because you've got your flesh nature that's going to resist whatever the Holy Spirit's trying to teach you. How, how do you grow in it? And really the way to grow in it would be, the main way, would be through the Word. Because the Word is what's going to empower you. It's the Word that has the power that provides the empowerment that you're talking about. If you don't know the Word, if you don't study the Word, then you don't have the power. That, that Paul talks about. Definitely, it's enlightenment. It, from the word comes the enlightenment. Right. The word yeah. comes in. We get enlightened. Paul says to Timothy that the goal of our instruction is to have love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So, as we gain enlightenment from the word of God, God shows us the ability to walk in love. And then it gives us the power to walk in love. And the final outcome is the enrichment of love, which is that we are Christ-like. The, the the key thing for me there is that the empowerment is directly related to the Word of God, to the Word. It's how much of this Word you can get in you. If you're limited in it, then you're going to be limited in every attribute of God, basically, yeah. in your Christian walk. And until you can really get the enlightenment you're talking about, it's going to be hard to be victorious. Um, Galatians 5.13 was the scripture that I wrote. I'm just, let's, let's let somebody else read that one from another translation. I've, I've forgotten what it says without looking it up myself. 
for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we're supposed to serve one another. That's that's a, um, a characteristic of the kind of love where we love each other is that we're serving each other. Servitude is part of loving. In fact, it's a key thing is why most churches are trying to teach serving in the church because it's something we need to serve each other, right, in order to manifest love. Um, how about um, Galatia, I mean, Ephesians 5, verse 25? I've got about six verses here. Just, these are all agape verses. Husbands or wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Hello. Since we're men in a men's group tonight, I thought I'd bring that verse. And you know, that's another thing that's kind of hard sometimes is men have trouble loving their wives like like we should. Um, and in that same verse, it talks about the wife, or in that same section there, it talks about the wife respecting the husband. They, they, it, it's our nature to have trouble in these areas. That the word is telling us, putting us on guard. You're going to have a problem here if you don't work on this. So work on it. And that's agape there. That's a self-sacrificing, unconditional, undeserved love. And I'm not sure, um, let me see how to say this, because I, I, I have I have to work on it myself. You know, it's, it's not easy. I mean, we're na- by nature, by corrupted nature, we're selfish. And so you have to not be selfish in order to, to um to be able to use this kind of love. All right, let's see here. So Ephesians five. How about um Galatians fifteen verses thirteen and fourteen? Galatians five? No. Fifteen. Galatians fifteen. No. Hope I got it right. No. Yeah, what am I thinking there, Galatians fifteen? Five plus one. <laughs> Let's see what I was looking at. One verse five. Through six. There isn't, of course, there's no 15. Well, I can quote the verse if I can't find it. But I'd like to, I like to look up verses so we put our eyes on. Let me see if it's in five. I must have had a typo there. No, I don't know what verse, but it it is the verse. I just made a typo there. It is the verse that says, "Lay down your life for a friend." Um, agape love is laying down your life for a friend. Do you know which verse I'm talking about? Do you all remember what that is? Yeah, and in the Greek, what I wanted to point out there is that's literal. That laying down life means exactly that. It means, in Greek, to give up your breath. So you you would put your friend ahead of yourself in agape love, which is another part of the definition of agape love, is that you put your, you know, other people ahead of yourself. You put the interests of other people ahead of yourself. You know, I, I, I counsel people with uh, financial problems. I've been doing that for 30 years. Um Usually it's people with severe problems, and uh, because of that, I've also counseled a lot of Christian business people, and 
In fact, my ministry started back in the 80s, and I was counseling Christian businessmen. That's what I was doing. And then it went off into another direction. But I see in business that we have a problem. Christian men have a problem in business sometimes because we look at our competitors as an enemy. And sometimes that competitor is a believer, and we're supposed to love that competitor. And we have to be careful what we do to, because, you know, when if he's got a customer and we go and take that customer away from him, um, then he's not able to feed his family maybe. You know, I don't know. It's just a thought. And I've also seen Christian businessmen do all kinds of um, of questionable things, you know, promising things and misrepresenting their products and uh, you know, I try to counsel them the best I can, but it seems like when we get off into the business side of things, we're not as religious as we are when we're in Bible study. And business is a, is a place where guys get themselves in a little bit of trouble, and and we get off the beam because we need to love we need to love everybody. So laying down a life for a friend—that's a copy. Um, it's John fifteen thirteen. It's John. Thank you. Let's look at it. I like to look at it. John 15, not Galatians. i got to hurry here. I don't want to keep you guys too late. How late do we go, Pastor? We go home at 8 o'clock. No, I'll keep <laughs> <laughs> We'll keep the recording going. Yeah, right. Bill will be here by himself. Okay, you see that verse? 13, 14, John 15. 13. And verse 13, thanks for looking at it. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. There it is. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus says command. That's in red letters there. Anytime, anytime you see something in red letters, you know, that's pay special attention to that. But now let's get into some big verses here that are all agape. Galatians 5, verse, I mean, those were big, but let's look at Galatians 5, verse 22. This is a key verse right here. Um, this really is in Galatians. Verse 22. Who wants to read that? I hadn't read yet, somebody. How about that new King James you got over there, Greg? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So there's nine of those, right? There's nine fruit of the Holy Spirit. What's the first one? Love. Love, right? It's mentioned there. Well, what does that mean to me? When I was born again, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in me, and he brought in me these nine attributes. The challenge for me is to make those nine attributes manifest in my relationship with other people and my relationship with God and in, in, in my walking out my life in the kingdom of God, right? So I have these things in me. I just need to learn how to use them. How am I going to learn how to use them? The Holy Spirit's going to teach me how to use them. I'm going to study the Word because out of the Word I'm going to find all different kinds of applications for these nine things. But I have a responsibility to develop myself in the kingdom of God. Too many Christians, I'm no present company accepted, but too many Christians come on Sunday, but they don't really study the Word. They don't really learn anything. They don't really grow, and you don't grow unless you get into the Word. There's only one way really to grow and, you know, our nature is to shortcut it. Our nature is to try to bypass work 
and that's that's part of the curse from Genesis chapter three is we don't like sweat of our brow anything that takes effort we don't like. So the word takes effort. You have to spend time. You have to get up in the morning or whenever is your time, and you have to be diligent and consistent. And that's the only way, really, to produce significant growth over a period of time in your Christian walk. So I know now that because the Holy Spirit is in me, I have those characteristics of the Holy Spirit that I can call on. That's what I have to learn is how to do that. I have to learn how to be patient. I don't come anywhere close to being patient by nature. That's something that I'm working on. Um, Other things maybe are easier for me. It's easier for me to be at peace, but... Other things I have to work on. And different people are different ways. Um, okay, now the the other big one is in Matthew chapter 22. So let's take a look at Matthew 22, verse 37. Who has that NIV? We can look at it in the NIV. Was that you? Matthew 1. Uh, 22. These are all copies. That's my point. 37 through 40. <laughs> Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, wait, excuse me for interrupting you. What's he responding to there? What was the question that was asked him in the previous verse? What's the great commandment? There you go. Okay, now start over. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So, the first thing is is that we're to love God with the God love. He already loves us, right? Unconditionally, he loved us first. Now we're loving back unconditionally. First commandment. The guy asked Jesus, this is a, um, just some guy that was in the group that day, a lawyer is what my translation says, a lawyer there that was asking the question. And he asked Jesus, what are the commandments? Remember, there were ten commandments that they started with in the Old Testament, but Jesus said there's really just two. What are they? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, etc. And a second is like unto you, love your neighbor. All of those loves are goppy loves. You decide that you're going to love God and you're going to love your neighbor. What does verse 40 mean to you, anybody? On these two commandments depend the whole law. The law. The law was the 600 and something commandments that Moses had come up with. What does that mean when it says there that there's, on those two commandments that Jesus gave them that day, hang all the law and the prophets? I think good. One of the things that I think about was he wasn't trying to abolish that. He wasn't trying to do away with that law. He was just trying to... Fulfill it. What? Yeah. Fulfill it. Well, fulfill it and make it understandable. He came to fulfill it. But what if I... What if we said... He says... What if we put the word depend in here? On these two commandments... Well, I have it in my translation. It says depend the whole law and prophets. What does it say in New King James? It, it says hang. Hang. Hang all. And I, I, I think it's, what he's saying is that these two laws are the foundation for everything else. In other words, everything else that the, the, the 
law itself and the prophets are built on these two things. Well, if you, if you also understand the, the, the Ten Commandments, which were given by God before the laws of Moses. Mm-hmm. Laws of Moses were nothing more than an extension of the Ten yeah. Commandments. But the first part of the Ten Commandments has to do with what? Everything has to do with loving God. The last part of the Ten Commandments, everything has to do with loving man. Also, that was a trick question. My question was trick? No. The lawyer's question. The lawyer's question was a trick. Maybe mine was. Too. Yeah, the lawyer has been giving it yeah. all his money. Oh, yeah. Doing, helping yeah. the poor and all these you know, what must, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? Yeah. Well, remember, he's talking to Pharisees. This was a big deal. He's talking to people who are legalistic over those 600 laws of Moses. Right. And he's te- he's telling them, there's two I want to bring to your, to answer your question, I'm going to mention two, and all the rest of them depend on these two. Right, right. Yeah. Well, Which says to, you got nothing. That's right. Yeah, well, okay, anything. take that and let's turn it a little bit and say, if I can do these two, all the rest of it will be fulfilled. Yeah. Think well, about the, it. These lawyers had created loopholes over the centuries mm-hmm. to way to avoid as well as to complicate and completely miss the whole point of them, which is these two commands. Exactly. And so what Jesus said was like a sword cutting through their legalism. The way, for me, when it says depend the rest of the laws and the prophets, if you can fulfill these two, you'll fulfill all the rest of them. Now I'm talking about, what am I talking about? Well, I'm just talking about the laws and the prophets, exactly what it says here. Um, I don't know, it's just one way to look at it. Uh, Jesus came to fulfill the law. The law was set aside in Hebrews chapter 4, I believe. Um, I don't want to get in a discussion of the law, but I just wanted to say, for Jesus, these are the two key things. Everything else in the kingdom of God, you might say, that's important, hangs on these two commandments, however you want to interpret that. If you can fulfill these two, you're going to make it. Yeah, um, Galatians 5:14, the law is fulfilled in one word: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. These good. guys, you know, good. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had actually built a uh, built a structure or a business out of religion, and I think really what Jesus is saying there is, you know, this structure we're going to cut right through it. These are the things that are important. I mean, and this was blowing up their entire way of life. They depended. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Martin Luther during the Reformation, same kind of thing. You know, we don't need any of this stuff. We don't need men between us and God. Amen. So, somewhat akin to that. Well, anyway, it's it's a real interesting subject. Let me take you, though. Just for the sake of time, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and point out um, another important place where agape is used all over the place. Um, well, the whole chapter really, but it starts with uh, 1 Corinthians 13. This was a, the letter to the Corinthians, and he's talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, and suddenly he goes off into the thing on love. The whole chapter 13, is about, almost all of it is about love, and then in chapter 14 he goes back and talks about prophecy and about spiritual gifts again. But in between there he says, I want to emphasize a point about this, which is more important than the spiritual gifts, which we still argue about in the body of Christ. 
more important is the subject of love. He says, if, um, he says I can speak in tongues, because that's one of the things they were arguing about, tongues. Um, but if I don't have love, then I'm just making a noise, right? It has to be, everything that we do has to be done in love, or it's, or it's not going to work. And the real important thing, I'm sure you all have seen, but if you look over here in, the, in verse um, 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, which he concludes in the next chapter is something to be desired in the body of Christ is the gift of prophecy, uh, and know all mysteries and all knowledge. So if I know all the mysteries, which nobody really knows because there's a lot of them, and all knowledge, and I have all faith and I can move mountains with my faith, but if I don't have love behind it, then I'm nothing. My faith isn't going to do anything. It's not My faith is not going to work. This is the way I interpret it. Is that if I'm having a faith problem sometimes, I need to check my love walk. If my faith is not producing the fruit that it should be producing, I need to check my love walk. Love is behind everything. To me, this verse and all these that follow, because Goffey's mentioned a whole bunch of times down here. It says, love, um, if, I, if I give to the poor... <clears throat> but I but I don't do it in love. A lot of people get can give to the poor out of obligation or out of out of um, uh, habit or because they think they have to or religious reasons or right. the church is doing it or whatever reason. Tax, credit. tax credits. That's <laughs> excellent. Yeah, tax credit. But if I don't have love behind it, it's not going to profit me anything. You know, it's nothing coming back to me because my my gift didn't have love. Then it has characteristics of agape love. Characteristics of agape love. This is not eros. This is not the other uh, two kinds of love. This is agape love. It's patient. It's kind. God is kind. One of the definitions of agape love is the kindness of God. God is kind. And it's the kindness of God, the Bible says, that brings us to repentance. That's how profound it is. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible uses the word charity here. That's another way to think about agape love is charitable. Um, and so if you, in the New King James, does it use charity? There, uh, no, it's kind. Uh, no, I mean love. The word Does it use the word love? Love, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. But in the old, in the original King James, it was charity is patient. Uh, love is kind. It's not jealous. It's not unbecoming. It does not seek its own. Um, in other words, we don't put ourselves first. We put other people first. We put God first. It's not provoked. I don't get easily provoked. I don't get angry. But somebody says some little something and I get easily offended. A lot of people are easily offended. Christians shouldn't be easily offended. We should be slow to be offended. Um, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Somebody does something that's wrong to me, that hurts me. I'm not supposed to take account of it and go back and try to get revenge or something like that. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Whatever problems come along, I bear all these things. I don't blame God for them. I just do what i got to do. I believe all things. I hope for all things. Endure all things. Read the rest of the chapter. All of that is, all, all of those things that are mentioned there char- characterize the agape kind of love. So, to end tonight, I I just wanted to um, focus on the fact that God is love. Um, his essence is love. His He is something 
special in the universe. You know, there's nobody else that is love. He is love. And um, he, he, he's not a spirit that loves. He's not a loving spirit. He is a, his, he is a spirit that is love. Um, so he's unique. Um, by the way, one thing that the devil cannot do is love. Only, only God can love. The devil can't love. He doesn't love anything. Not agape love. He can. I don't know about eros love, but probably eros love he could come up with. Uh, o- only God can love. Um, and if you're, when you're born again and you're born into the image of God, that means to be converted into love. Right? You're as, as you're reborn. And you begin a process of renewing your mind, which is uh, what your Christian walk is all about, right? It's, it's about renewing your mind. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 talk about renewing your mind. We're all in a process of renewing our mind. The Holy Spirit is working inside of us to renew our minds so that we come to the image of Christ. That's we have been predestinated. It's, for the, it's predetermined that if we do what we're supposed to do, we're going to come into the image of Christ. And so, what does that mean then? It means to to come into the image of love. And that's why it's kind of important, because that's where we're headed. Um, the Bible says in Romans, back to Romans 5, verse 10, we didn't go over that verse a while ago, but that verse says that, um, basically, that even when we were enemies with God, when we were looked upon as enemies, before we were born again, we were enemies of God. There was a war going on between God and sin, and we were we were His enemies because we carried sin. And and um, even when we were His enemies, He loved us. Mm-hmm. And so, to be like God, well, this is really the hard part. We have to love our enemies. Um, who are our enemies? Well, we have personal enemies. We have enemies in Washington D.C. We have we have enemies all around. You know, there are people that are enemies of the body of Christ, and there's a lot of rough stuff that goes on about how we talk about other people, and especially political figures and um, people that we disagree with or that disagree with us. I just I don't judge it. I just say try to reconcile some of the stuff that you hear with with the fact that we. We're to love our enemies. Uh, I, I didn't write it. It's just here. And I think that's the hardest place to get to with this agape love is where you make a decision to love your enemies. I, I can't say that I've done that, and I need to work on it. There's some people that I, I get really angry with some of the stuff they do. But I, I need to love them, and I need to make a decision to and I need to focus on whatever I need to do, praying for them, um, maybe praying for them personally, you know, personal person that that I see is in, in, in disagreement with what I believe, I need to pray for that person. And uh, in fact, I've done that in the past with people in my personal life. Um, to overcome unforgiveness was to pray for that person. You just pray for them and pray for their, you know, their well-being. And, and uh, there's a scripture in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, if you just want to make a note of it, where it said uh, that we're to love our enemies. Um, so what Alan had on the list was for this subject tonight was God's kind of love. I think that's what you call it, 
to talk about God's kind of love. God's kind of love is this agape love, and it's really special. It's um, it's different. Really, we need another word in English. I wish we could come up with another word that, that describes it better. Because in order to understand, like if you if you use the word love to me, I have to hear it in the context to understand what you mean by it. But there's, it's clear in Greek. You know, when they say some form of agape, you know exactly what what the writer's talking about. God, God is love, and if He is love, then He's always been love. And it's important, I think, to remember that He was love when the flood came. He was love when He ran the Israelites around in circles. I, I, I can't explain it, but He was love. You know, I, He had a big picture that maybe I can't understand as part of the mystery, but but He. He loves the end result of where this is all going. This is a deep subject, but but God was loved then. He killed everybody on the earth except eight people. Right. Did he bring the flood? He brought the flood because he got fed up with other people. But he is love, so somehow that fit into his plan of love. Um, we can only be affected by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And I'm, I'm talking about um, how we develop in the ability to apply agape love in our in our lives with other people. Uh, other people are a challenge, right? We, we challenge each other. We iron sharpens iron, you know. The scripture says because we're all a little bit difficult in in our own way. Everybody's got their difficulties, and um, so we we're challenged to do it. We're commanded to do it. Jesus commanded us in Mark chapter 22. This is not a suggestion. I just thought I'd bring that up. It's not a, why don't you do this if you're not busy? This is, if you want to be part of the kingdom, if you want to be my disciple, you will keep my commandments. And here's two of them in Matthew chapter 22 for you. Now it's our decision to accept it, to apply it, and grow in it. Amen? Amen. That's where I'm going to stop. Good. Good. Anybody have any more insights? Yes, sir. One of the things that I think that we need to be aware of with with God's love, um, a lot of times we focus on agape love as being God's love, but the reality of it is that Sturgio, Eros, and Phileo are all God's love. Because we were created in His image and likeness, we were given those capacities to love that way. The thing that we don't look at and see is that those loves, when they are embodied in agape love, are used in the correct way that God designed us to have. Interesting. And so, that's true. A lot of times we take eros, we take phileo, or we take sturgio, you know, and we we alienate that from agape when the reality is they should all be embodied in agape love. So that when we are walking, we are loving, you know, I mean, God created us as the body of Christ. So we have a sturgeon love for one another. And God gave us as the bride of Christ, and we have that eros, that deep, because eros is really, it's a, it's a longing, it's a passion. And, and God has a deep passion for us. And so I think we need to understand that agape love becomes the center or the foundation of those other loves in, in family activities and in, in, in marriages 
and friendships, because in those, we give ourselves first unconditionally with the God we love, and then that we get the purest form of, of relational love, whether it become, you know, love, or Eros love, or Sturgio, or, or uh, Phileo. Interesting. 